Good morning. Merry Christmas. I'm convinced that there could not be a more longed for topic than our topic today. And at the same time, I'm convinced that there could not be a more universally agreed upon, yeah, that's never going to happen topic than today. Got it? So at the same time, simultaneously, our topic for today is the thing that I cannot imagine that there could be, the world could not be more longing for, and at the same time, the more, yeah, that ain't never going to happen, than this topic. And the topic is peace. Peace. Let's do it again. There could not be. <laughs> Everybody with me? There could not be something that you are, you are more longing for, and yet, wh- whether it is at the international level, right, world peace at the global level, at the regional level, peace in the Middle East, how about peace in this country, the conflict, the division? What about even at a local level or even in families? All you want is a drama-free Christmas. Peace among siblings, peace among husbands and wives, parents and children. And at the most intimate level of all, we long for inner peace, a sense of calm, peace of mind, the end of depression, anxiety, and fear. So I think people are longing for that, but I think that people are getting less and less hopeful that that's ever going to happen. Let me be more precise. I think the world is shifting their hope for peace to smaller and smaller and ever-shrinking concentric circles. Uh, Let me explain that. Uh, I think that there was a time when, uh, maybe a couple generations, I don't know, but there was a time when you wouldn't be laughed at if you said, visualize world peace, global peace. Let's come together. We are the world. We are the children. And you didn't laugh at I mean, now, now, can you imagine? Hey, guys, what do you think? World peace? Right? What about regionally? What about peace in the Middle East? There was a time when it's like, maybe, maybe we could get them together. Maybe we could stop fighting. Now, when you say peace in the Middle East, at least to a certain generation, they'll say, they have been fighting since before I was alive. I don't see any hope for that being resolved. Peace in our own nation. There was a time, it's like, yeah, maybe we can come together. Now people feel so divided. And so you say, well, but maybe nationally there's peace. Maybe within families, there's a little bit more hope. And finally, now I'm convinced it's like, well, you know what? Global peace we've given up on. Maybe we can have peace in our minds, peace in our hearts. And so meditation apps and mindfulness programs are through the roof. And people are hoping, well, I can't get any peace out there. Maybe I can get some peace in here. People are longing for that. We're told to look for peace. Fight for peace. Irony. Irony. Work for peace. Give peace a chance. That's all we're saying. Make the peace, keep the peace, labor for peace until you finally what? Rest in peace. That's it. And in the midst of all this noise, there is a prophet from the word of God who says, in the midst of all this depression and anxiety and fear globally and in the human heart, a royal baby will be born and he shall be called. He's a name for every 
need. Have you been following along? Then you know where, where, you know where we are in this series. One more time, Isaiah 9, 6. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and here today, Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. And you know, when you name a child, sometimes you, you hope that they're going to grow into that name. But when, if God says this baby's name is going to be Prince of Peace, then there's no hoping about it. He's going to be the Prince of Peace. And when Jesus, the Messiah, was here on earth, was he not a Prince of Peace? Did he not bring peace to those that were troubled? Nowhere. Where, where, where are we going to go in the scriptures to illustrate how Jesus was prince of peace? To me, nowhere was he more princely in his display of royal peace than at the end of his ministry right before he was crucified. Turn with me to John chapter 14, verse 27. John 14, 27. And today for the whole scripture text, we're only going to do one verse. Merry Christmas. It's one, <laughs> one verse, okay? Now, it's a power-packed verse, but we're only going to do one verse. We'll take it one part. There's three parts to the verse. We'll take them one at a time. Are you there? John 14, starting in verse 27. Peace I leave with you, Jesus tells his disciples. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Now, what's he talking about? Where are we in this story? Let's start with a definition. Peace uh, is more than just, for Jesus here, it's more than just the absence of conflict. The Greek word Irene, where we get our, our name Irene, means peaceful, but it, but but means peace, but it taps into this Hebrew notion. You know the Hebrew word for peace. It's a common Hebrew greeting even to this day. Shalom. Now, shalom is more than just, I hope you stop fighting with people. When you wish, wish someone shalom, you're not just saying, I hope you don't fight, I hope you don't have conflict. It's not just the absence of conflict, it's the presence of wholeness, of real peace. It's, to say shalom means I want you to walk under the blessing of God. The best definition for shalom, God's peace, the peace that Jesus wants to leave with his disciples, the best definition of shalom I've ever heard. Now, imagine this was applied to you and your family. You ready? Shalom, God's peace, means this. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. That's God's perfect peace. And Jesus doesn't just say this is peace, it's my peace. In other words, he's saying the peace I have with God, my eternal Father. Remember, he's about to go to the cross. This is the last time he's with his disciples. Do you remember John 14? He starts with let not your hearts be troubled. I'm about to go away, guys, but it's going to be okay. Here's why. He talks about how the Holy Spirit's going to come. The, the disciples are nervous. They're scared. They're, they're, they're filled with anxiety and fear. Jesus is about to leave us. What could this mean? And he's saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. My peace I leave with you. I have this perfect peace with God the Father. I have shared for all eternity. It's unhindered, unbroken fellowship. It's incredible peace. There's no sin between me and the Father. So there is unparalleled, perfect peace. Come on in, guys. I want you to have it too. I want to invite you in. The peace that Jesus feels with his heavenly Father is what he wants you to have. That's the peace he leaves. 
Now you say, well, how is this possible? I mean, I understand how Jesus could have perfect peace with his father, but how can sinful man experience this peace? Well, that's why he says, my peace. What's he about to do? He's about to go to the cross. He's saying, tomorrow I am going to purchase your forgiveness. I'm going to make a way for you to be welcomed in. And in a way, what he's saying, I leave you, that word can also mean I bequeath to you. In other words, this really is Jesus' last will and testament, isn't it? Well, when does a will and testament get executed? When the person dies. And he's saying, I'm about to die, and this is what I bequeath to you. This is what I'm going to leave to you. I'm going to leave you a peace that is, and I'm gonna, each part of this verse I'll make a point. The first is this. His peace is doubly wonderful. Doubly wonderful. Let me explain. His peace is doubly wonderful. Write that down. Go ahead. When I say it's doubly wonderful, what do I mean by that? There is a twofold nature to this peace. There's twofold. We've got to talk about this. The theologically fancy way to talk about this is that there, Jesus is offering both an objective peace and a subjective peace peace. What do I mean by that? There is both an objective peace and a subjective experience. Objective. In other words, independent of you, something outside of you, something objectively has happened that changes the situation. Subjective reality. Because of that objective reality, I now experience it subjectively. So his peace is doubly wonderful. It accomplished an objective peace with God and subjectively fills the Christian with the peace of God. Got it? This is pretty complex stuff, so let me break it down with some simple examples. Objective, the objective experience would be, for example, your favorite college football team wins the big game. That happened on the field. That's the objective experience. What's the subjective experience? You're telling all your friends about it, and you're so excited, and you're already making plans to get tickets for the championship or whatever. You got it? The objective experience is you have a terrible headache and you'd give anything for some aspirin and there's no aspirin in the house and oh, you're in such pain and your friend shows up and is paid for and bought and purchased and brought to you some aspirin. That's the objective experience. Victory, aspirin is here. (laughs) The subjective experience is taking the aspirin and having it run through your veins and give relief to your headache. Got it? The objective reality, the subjective experience. Jesus offers both. What do I mean? When Jesus says, I, I'm leaving you my peace, he's dealing with both the objective reality and the subjective reality. It's a twofold peace. In other words, we have peace with God, objective, but also peace of God. That's what I mean when I say it's doubly wonderful. Think of it this way Is the peace Jesus offering us peace with God or the peace of God? And the answer is yes. As young people would say, His peace is both on the real and in the fields. I'm realizing now that I said it out loud, no young person would say that. Uh, What they would say is cringe, I believe, is the word they would now use. I can't wait till the next service where my daughter hears me say that. (laughs) Do you understand, though? On the real and in the fields. Let's unpack it. Objective peace, peace with God. I don't know how often you think about this, but before you were saved, before you were declared innocent in the eyes of a holy God, the Bible says you and God were not neutral. You and God were not just, well, we have an understanding, well, he's the man upset. The Bible says clearly before you were saved, you are in fact, you have set yourself up in opposition to God. The sinner, before he or she is saved, is at war with a holy God. 
They've made God their enemy. After Jesus saves you, you go from being at war with God to being at peace with God. That's exactly what the New Testament says. Look at Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Objectively, every Christian has peace with God. Every Christian. Why? Because once you're saved, you're, you've moved positionally from being an enemy of God to being at peace with God. What can it mean to have peace with God except there was a time before we were saved when we were at war with God. We were enemies of God. Romans 5 continues. Look at verse 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we're reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received reconciliation. Before you became a Christian, your enemy was God. And you needed to be reconciled to God. The same thing is expressed in Colossians 1. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. It's talking about Jesus Christ. And through Christ to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Look, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. You may not have thought about that. I don't think most people think about that. They think before they're saved, they're just, well, just neutral or something. You know, they're sort of Switzerland in the World War. You know, that haven't really picked a side. No, because every sin you do is ultimately a sin against God. That's why David says in Psalm 51, against thee and thee only have I sinned. Why? Because when you go back and back and back, every sin is an affront to God. If you sin against God's people, who owns God's people? It's God. If you sin against a human being, they were made in the image of God. Every sin is cosmic treason. Because it's saying, no God, you're not the ruler, I am. And the penalty, unless I'm mistaken, the penalty in every country in the world for treason is death. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. You are guilty of cosmic treason before you're saved. But he's made peace with treasonous sinners. Why? Because he bore the penalty of treason on the cross. And he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. I want everybody to see that's the objective part that happened. When the angel said to the shepherds, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace on whom his favor rests. What he is saying is God has made a way through this Messiah, through this baby who's going to die on this cross. He has made a way for rebel sinners who are at war with God to be saved and brought in as children of God. Before you are saved, you're an enemy of God and an objective outside of you peace has been established because of Christ. And now all who put their faith in Jesus can be at peace with God. One more illustration, because I know this is a theologically complex topic. One more illustration. Uh, And if any of you have been to New York City, you know that one thing is abundantly clear. To be a New York Yankees fan is, by definition, to hate the Boston Red Sox. Those two things come part and parcel. To be, by definition, to be a Yankees fan is to hate, is to be an enemy of the Boston Red Sox. I remember one time going to Yankee Stadium to watch a baseball game after 9-11. And they sold t-shirts that said unrepeatable things. (laughs) But to paraphrase, these t-shirts said, down with Bin Laden and the Boston Red Sox. And I I thought, really? 
Like, are those two things really on the same level, you know? And then also odd, that night the Yankees, the Yankees were playing against neither Bin Laden nor the Red Sox. They were playing Arizona, and I just loved it. Playing against Arizona, yeah, we hate Boston. The point is, to be a Yankee was to be an enemy of Boston, and vice versa. Boston fans would feel the same way if the sermon were being uh, uh, flipped the other way. Okay. That's the point. If you're not saved, you're not spiritually neutral before a holy God, you've set yourself up as opposed to God. You're all, in fact, in fact, you're really, before you're saved, your only enemy is God. You may hear Christian often, you may hear that the Christian's enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil. Before you're saved, the world, the flesh, and the devil are really just trying to pacify your life. See, they're trying to keep you distracted as they usher you to hell. They're not really that against you. If you imagine a great current, the world, the flesh, and the devil are flowing with that current. As long as you're flowing in the same direction, you don't feel the opposition, right? C.S. Lewis says you don't find out the strength of the opposing army by laying down your arms and surrendering. It's only when you turn and pick up a weapon and fight do you find out that strength. As long as you're going the way of the world, the world, the flesh, and the devil have no problem with you. Satan will not oppose you. Why? Because you're going in the same direction. But when you become a believer, oh, listen, that's the other thing about God. When you have God as your enemy, he is the most unique enemy. He's the only enemy I can think of who is always seeking to save those who hate him. Isn't he? You won't find an enemy like that who loves his enemies perfectly. And when you're saved and you become a friend of God, those quote-unquote friends from your old life, the world, the flesh, and the devil, now they become your enemy because you've been saved. Because, Christian, you have peace with God. I want everyone to treasure that, to know it this morning, that objectively, if you are a child of God, if you are a Christian, you have the peace with God settled once for all, forever on Calvary's cross by his death, burial, resurrection. You're justified before a holy God. You and God are good. There's peace. It's the objective reality. Does that describe your day-to-day life? Do you have the subjective Reality from which that objective, from what it comes from, that objective reality? In other words, do you experience it? Okay, so I've established you have the peace with God. Do you have the peace of God? Wouldn't it be something to know? I mean, can you imagine? You've got Christians, blood-bought Christians, who objectively have peace. Peace has been made with God, but they're not appropriating that peace. They're not living into it. They're not walking in it. Why? They're not experiencing it. Isn't that a shame that that Christ has gone to the cross, death, burial, and resurrection for you to have peace with God, and you're not living in that peace? You know, uh, an incredible holiday, a wonderful holiday, federal holiday, Juneteenth. Juneteenth, it's short for June 19th. It's an incredible holiday. If you don't know the history of this, I hope you you, you know it or you'll learn it. The Emancipation Proclamation is signed on January 1st, 1863. The Civil War goes on to 1865. Uh, 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 The the, uh, uh, Civil War is over at Appomattox Courthouse uh, in the summer of uh, 18, or really early spring, summer of 1865. But it's not for two months later. So so the, the, the slaves are freed But it's when, June 19th, when federal troops arrive on the coast of Galveston, Texas, to enforce emancipation. Now, isn't that something? In other words, objectively, the slaves were freed. But it took sometimes as much as, what would that be from 
two and a half years, or if you count from the end of the Civil War, two full months, you had months where slaves who were freed were still being held in slavery. So June 19th is really a good illustration of what I'm saying. Christian, you've been free from the slavery of sin, but are you living into that freedom? You say, that is, that is criminal, that is unconscionable to think of slavery and, and that being ended, but then it's doubly unconscionable to think of slavery that continues even after it's being ended. You've got slaves who are still living as slaves even though they are objectively freed. I know Christians that do the same thing. They have been objectively set free. They have peace with God, but they're not living in the peace of God. Jesus wants you to have both. Why? Because his peace is doubly wonderful. It is sets the sinner right with God. Oh, and it, this morning it is meant to, and we'll talk the, the, these other two points, it's meant to let you experience that. If you're not experiencing that, let, keep listening. Here we go. Uh, Romans 8, by the way, is uh, Paul unpacking, I think, the subjective nature. If you, if you want a tutorial on this, Paul realizes he's set right with God. So Romans 8 is sort of like, him realizing all that that means. Wait a minute, if Christ is for me, who can be against me? Wait a minute, if the one person who can condemn me didn't, who's left to condemn me? Wait a minute, what, if that's true, then what can separate me from the love of God? Shall height, nor depth, nor, 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 nor any other created thing? I mean, angels, principalities, powers, what can, I mean, it, Romans 8 is wonderful. Just read it. If I ever preach on Romans 8, I'm gonna yell the whole time because it's just a chapter of yelling. That's all it is. It's Paul going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Be quiet, heart, with all your condemnation. You can't condemn me anymore. I'm not going to find my peace in you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, world, with all your ever-changing fashions and opinions, my peace is not in you. And come here, death. You've been the biggest bully in this universe for a long time. I'm a child of God. Death, you come at me and watch what happens. Romans 8 is, is, the, is the outworking of a man going, well, if that's true, if I have peace with God, then I'm going to walk in the peace of God. Now, I'm already preaching my next two points, so let's might as well get to them. He goes on. To, it's doubly wonderful. He goes on to say, not as the world gives do I give to you. Ah, here we go. Here we go. A big reason why we don't get so excited when Jesus says, I'm going to give you peace is because, yeah, I've been there, done that, got the T-shirt. I know all about peace. And Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. You know about a counterfeit peace that the world's been selling for years. I'm here to tell you when I say peace, I mean something very different than the world means. I can give you peace that the world can't give. And they've been calling it peace for way too long. So his peace is doubly wonderful. And here's your second point. It is utterly inimitable. <laughs> Utterly inimitable. Inimitable. I don't know what it means, but it's going to preach. It, no, I'm just kidding. So here's how I got this. Inimitable. Uh, so I'll go ahead and spoiler alert. I had this idea for these three points, right? Doubly wonderful, utterly inimitable, and like spoiler alert, my last point's going to be immediately available. So for memory, I wanted them all to be parallel, right? Wonderful, available. And so I needed something that ended with able. But... I, <laughs> But I wanted to say that his piece is different. His piece is unique. But there's no, I couldn't be like, it's utterly uniqueable. You know? I mean, some of you love me enough, you'd be like, all right, preacher, we'll go with it. <laughs> Make up your own words. But I wanted to say there's nothing like itable. It's utterly, you know, un, un, 
uncopyable. I could have gone with uncopyable, I guess. So I, I went to Google, and I typed in, what is a synonym for unique? And of all the synonyms, I'm like, ubble, 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 ubble. And right there on the screen, inimitable. I said, all right. Click on the definition. I said, all right, let's, I hope it's close enough to preach. <laughs> and the, here's the, de- the dictionary definition of inimitable. So good or unusual as to be impossible to copy. Utterly unique. I don't care if I can say it. I don't care if I can spell it. That's what I'm trying to say. His piece is utterly inimitable. What do I mean by that? The world offers a counterfeit piece. How is Jesus' piece different from the world's piece? Where do I start? I limited myself to just a few. I'll do them as fast as I can. Here's one way. The world, at best, can only offer an intermittent peace. Comes and goes. Christ can offer a constant peace. Does anybody know that to be true? The world's peace is a brief respite and it's utterly dependent on transient things. Somebody once said that when there's peace on earth, it means that's when everybody's pausing to reload. It can offer only an intermittent peace. And the world offers things to provide a little peace of mind, insurance policies and police presence and a bunch of locks on the door and tornado shelters. And I'm thankful for all these things. I'm glad we have them. But the point is they don't last only until the policy runs up or the police presence is removed or the next tornado comes. Christ's peace isn't dependent on anything. Was he in control yesterday? Yes. Was he in control today? Yes. Is he going to be in control tomorrow? Yes. Then I can be at peace Christ doesn't give what the world gives because the world says peace is out there. You got a chance at peace. You got to maybe work for peace. And one day you can have peace so long as the conditions are right. Jesus says, no, it's available right here. The world's peace is an if only peace. Christ's peace is a no matter what peace. What do I mean? Oh, the if onlys. Start when the, it starts when it's young. If only I was a teenager. Really? That would give you peace. If only I had a later bedtime, right? If only I could get a phone. If only, then they get to, if only I could get into college, then I'd have peace. Really, that's going to bring you peace. You're laughing because you've played the if only game. Well, if only, if only, oh, and here, it's, it's December 19th. If only I were done with final exams. I'd give anything to be done with finals. If only I could be done with finals, then I'll be at peace. Really, that's where your peace is going to be going to be found. And then you think, well, if only I get good grades. Why? Because if I get good grades, I'll get a job. And if I could only get a job, work would be the end of my stress. (laughs) And then then when you get a job, you're worried about getting a better job or losing the job you have. If only you think I could get married. If only we could have kids. If only these kids would get older. Then I could quit worrying. If my kids would just become teenagers, then I could relax. (laughs) Hand them a set of car keys and relax, okay? So now we're back to teenagers, and the cycle starts again. Does everybody understand? Jesus doesn't say, my ease I leave with you, my comfort I leave with you, and any number of these things can give a measure of comfort. But in the midst of the world saying, if only I had this, if only I had this, if only I had this, Jesus says, I have this. And I can make it yours. I invite you into it. The world's peace is an if only peace. Christ's peace is a no matter what peace. The world's peace 
can only, here's the difference, Christ's peace versus the world's peace. The world's peace is a stupid peace. Christ's peace is an intelligent peace. What do I mean? The only way you're going to have peace in this world is to be blissfully unaware of what's going on. In other words, you, you depress reality. You escape from reality to get a measure of peace. A Christian stares reality right in the face. What about heartache? Yep. What about tornadoes? Yep. What about disaster, disease, divorce, and pain? Yep, 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 and yep. The world says the only way to make this go away is get drunk enough or get distracted enough or pour yourself into work or get that little retail shopping a uh, little, little high you get, a little retail therapy, whatever it is, buy a new toy, buy a new house, get whatever. Why? Because you're constantly having to distract. And of all the things I mentioned, the biggest one of all is death. Death is out there looming. If you sit down and actually think about death is coming, how can you enjoy life? You have to distract yourself. That's what I mean when I say it's a stupid piece. I'm not being derogatory. I'm saying you have to stupidify your mind. You have to be, ah, la, 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 la. I'm not going to think about it. Christ's peace says you can stare it all in the face. Why? Because, because of this. Look at it this way. The world's peace versus Christ's peace. Even in the world, even if you ever do achieve a little bit of peace of mind that the world offers, you can never really rest. Why? Because if you ever finally do get that peace of mind, it can be taken away. You're always having to look over your shoulder. You always, follow me now, you always have to guard the peace that the world gives. You always have to protect it. You always have to guard it. If you ever have the world's peace, you're just one car accident away, one family drama away, one MRI away from the world's peace all being evaporated. Oh, but the peace of Christ. Watch this. The world's peace, you've got to guard it. Watch this. Listen to me. With Christ's peace, the peace of God, you don't guard it. It guards you. That's in Scripture. Look at Philippians 4. Look at this verse. Paul says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, does what? Will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I have seen this. I've seen it with my own two eyes. I have been at Christian funerals right here in this building, funeral homes. There are people grieving. I'm, I'm talking about they're walking through the darkest hour of their life. They're at the funeral where they are burying their loved one. And I'm up here, I'm supposed to preach, and I'm sitting in this chair over here, and you've seen it, right? And you're looking out, and you know what they're singing? It is well, it is well with my soul. They're singing it with all their heart. That's a Christian staring reality right in the face. They're not blind to it. They've got tears in their eyes. They're wrecked with grief and yet it is well with my soul you know why you know what i'm seeing the peace of god is guarding them in their most tender moment the world's all about you got to guard your peace you got to figure it out but the peace of god guards the child of god i've seen it you've experienced it you say well how do you explain that i can't you might even say it's a peace that passes all understanding that's his point you can't explain it you can walk in it don't you see that's the difference between the world's quote-unquote peace this counterfeit peace 
and the peace he offers. That's why Jesus says, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. My peace. Okay, we've come near to the end of our time. And now the third part of this verse. So, disciples, and this is incredible to me, that he says this at the end of John 14, 27. He's got these poor disciples. <laughs> Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's about to go to the agony of the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to bear the wrath for sin of the world in the cross. And who is he worried about? Not himself. He's worried about others. He's thinking about others. In, in the moment of his greatest stress, he's still caring for his own. So he tells them, guys, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In other words, this is the only application. If all this is true, if we have objective peace with God, we have the subjective peace of God, and it's different than the world gives, then the only application is this. Stop letting your heart be troubled, right? Now, if you or I said this to each other, because we can't offer the peace with God or the peace of God. We didn't die on the cross for anybody. And so if we said this, this is probably like the worst thing you could say in a counseling session. Oh, snap out of it. <laughs> right? Pull yourself together. My heart is troubled. Well, then let not your heart be troubled. Oh, thanks. That's really helpful. <laughs> Anybody else I could talk to? But Jesus can say it because he's not just a counselor. He is a counselor full of wonder. You might say he is the wonderful counselor. In other words, he's got the goods to back this up. He's saying, because of what I'm going to do on the cross, because of who I am, and because I don't give peace like the world gives peace, because of all that, he can say, let not your heart be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And that leads me to this last point. His peace is doubly wonderful, utterly inimitable, and his peace is immediately, church, that means right now, this moment, immediately available. To every child of God without peace right now. You ready? Have it. Have it right now. Have it this moment. Enjoy the full peace that God has with the Father. You enjoy it right now. Why? It is immediately available. You say, you can't just go around giving peace like that. No, you're right. But he can. Why? Because it's his to give. He won it. He paid for it. That's the application. Let not your heart be troubled. Take hold of the peace that he offers right now. Appropriate it. Remember my aspirin illustration? The aspirin's here. It will heal you. Take it. Uh, I, need, I, I, need, I need money. Well, here's a bank account full of money. Withdraw some. Immediately available. Not in the, but I've got all these troubles. Right, that's the point. Because the world's peace would say, once you get your troubles cleared up, then you can have peace. Christ's peace, remember, is not as the world gives. His is immediately available. Why? Because the world can only give peace in the absence of trouble. Christ's peace comes in spite of trouble. In fact, most of the, most of the Christian uh, experience for the last 2,000 years has been lived in the midst of trouble. Really, in our privileged place in the world, we've experienced probably less trouble than most of our Christian brothers and sisters. So when Paul describes peace in the New Testament, of all the analogies he could use, of all the ways he could talk about peace, you know what his analogy is in Ephesians 6? A shoe. It's a shoe. Anybody remember that? Of all the ways he could describe the gospel of peace, his best analogy he comes up with is a shoe. Why? Well, because 
shoes bank on the journey hurting your feet. The only time you walk barefoot is when you, uh, you're on soft carpet or the sand of a shore where you can't, your feet can't be hurt. No, you put on good sturdy shoes when you're about to do some work because you know there's going to be roots or there's going to be little thorns or spikes or it's going to be a gravelly rough path. So you put on shoes. Look at Ephesians 6 when he gets to the end of the armor of God. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Why? Because peace is not the absence of trouble. That's the point. You don't guard this peace. This peace guards you. It's not going to be an easy journey. There's going to be rough terrain. So he leaves us his peace in spite of trouble. That's the application. If you're a born-again Christian, that's the application. Stop, listen, stop waiting for peace. Stop wishing for peace. Start walking in peace right now. Stop waiting for it. Walk in it. Submit to the Prince of Peace. I mean, look, if you're living in rebellion against God and you're sin right now and you're a Christian, he's not going to let you have any peace. Why? Your conscience won't allow you to have peace. So you need to submit to your prince. Submit to the Prince of Peace this morning. But once you're submitted to him, pray to him, think on him this week, right? Stay in the word. Have your quiet times. Have your daily devotions. Why? Because that's a legalistic thing for Christians to do? No, because Isaiah 26, 3, that's why he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is fixed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. You establish trust. You get your mind on God. He'll keep you in perfect peace. That's why we have our quiet time every day, Isaiah 26.3. Your holiday dinner will be different if you're walking in peace. See, if you're waiting for peace, I don't know. I don't know how your chances are. I can't guarantee. But if you're walking in peace, it'd be very different. Your, your, your grief for those of you who are grieving in a holiday season, it will be different. Your joy will be different if you're walking in peace. How about this one? Your post-holiday blues will be different if you're not waiting for peace. You're walking in it. Your new year will be different. Why? A lot of people wait on the new year as if the flip of a calendar page will be the thing that will change their life. Well, if you're waiting on it, no wonder it always seems so elusive. You don't have to wait on it. You don't have to wish for it. Walk in it. Walk in it. Why? Because it's not a path to peace. It's a path of peace. He's with you. So you can walk in it. Like literally, right now, you can experience his peace. This is settled, the objective peace with God. So walk in the peace of God. It's doubly wonderful. Don't, don't be tricked. I know what Satan's going to do after this message. He's going to say, yeah, you've heard about that peace before. You can't get any peace of mind. No, that's the peace the world gives. Remember, his is utterly inimitable, uncopyable, unique. It's not like the world. And it's immediately available. So, child of God, be led by the prince of peace. He's a name for every need. Chuck's going to come and lead us in time of response. I do have one regret. And I will share it with you. My only regret in this sermon, my only regret is that I cannot address it to everyone. I wish with all my heart I could, but I cannot. If you are not yet saved, you cannot have the peace of God because you cannot have peace with God. You're in hostility right now toward God. You are unconverted. 
your mind is troubled. You're filled with depression and fear and anxiety. And I say this with all the love in my heart. If you are unsaved, I hope your troubles don't stop. I hope you're more troubled than ever before. Why? Because I want God Almighty to wake you up. Now, so I cannot say to you, do not be afraid. If you are unconverted, I cannot say, do not be afraid. I say, you ought to be afraid. You have every reason to be afraid. You're gambling with your eternity. But I also want to say this. To anyone who hears my voice who is lost, though you are troubled and afraid, listen to me. Remember, there is a Savior. He loves you. And the Bible says, whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So you say, what do I do? Turn to him and be saved today. Receive this Prince of Peace. Then I can address you. With every blessing and benefit that I gave to the children of God this morning, they can be yours today. Why would you not receive him? I don't understand. Why would you not? If you're watching this on video or you're here and you're not yet saved, why, why, why would you not? That's my regret, that this peace cannot be addressed to everyone yet. <laughs> my prayer is that you'll be saved and that all these blessings of the Prince of Peace will be yours as well. He truly is a name for every need. Let's pray. God, grant to anyone who's not saved that today they would receive you and discover what true peace is. Lord, so many of my brothers and sisters who are here this morning and they needed this word of encouragement. I needed a word of encouragement that I don't wait. I don't have to wait for your peace. I don't have to wish for it. I can just walk in it regardless of circumstances. Lord, thank you. God, thank you that your peace is doubly wonderful and utterly unique. And thank you, God, that it's, it's available now. Thank you for the blessings you bestow on your children. You who are our prince, our lord, our messiah, our king forever. The government will be upon your shoulders and your kingdom will know no end. It's in the matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen.